Hello and welcome to the Wednesday Night Reaction Show here with Road to the Garden. We're coming to you after this Seton Hall-Iowa game, the, the lone Big East game of the night. I'm joined here by Tommy Godin, as always, and Michael DeRosa making his, uh, his first appearance here on the show. You probably know him from doing a little work on the Twitter account there now, now making his first appearance. Welcome, guys. Good to be here. Good to be here. Always yeah. a pleasure. Now... It's a tough game and not necessarily a pleasure to watch tonight with Seton Hall and Iowa. Final score on that one, 83-67 to 67 Hawkeyes. Not the defensive performance I think we were all expecting from Seton Hall against what's probably going to be the best offense they face all year there. Michael, we'll, we'll come to you first here. What are your just first thoughts jumping off the page for this yeah, game? Yeah, so I was very high coming on Seton Hall coming into the season. I like buying into great defenses. It's just that's something that just comes every single night. Uh, but one of the things I said, I tried to say it like very clearly is, I think this team's just going to get better as the season goes on. They're not going to start off as like the – I picked them to be fourth in the Big East. I stand by that after this game. They're not going to be that team that does it immediately. It's going to take time to build. They mentioned, like, Suheen Hall, I mentioned, he had so many guys injured over the summer. That is still going to take time for them to build chemistry, get reps together. It's a coach I still trust, but they, woof. That offense has a long, long, long way to go. In the first yeah. half, it was just miserable. Oh, mercy. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, but I still believe in this team. Yeah, only six made field goals to 12 turnovers in the first half. Not a recipe for success there. This one this one was a snoozer, Tommy. Would, you got anything to add on there? Not really. You guys did a good job wrapping it up. I mean, that is probably going to be the best offense they're facing all year, looking at their schedule. And I agree with Mike as well. Um, I, at Seton Hall, although they have the pieces to be good later in the year, that's going to be ugly. And it's going to be boring and not fun to watch in the beginning of the year like we saw tonight. But um, there were some encouraging signs. Um, but, yeah, tonight tonight was a snoozer. Yeah, and missing Alexis Yetna right now I think really showed. He's, other than Kadaria Richmond, he's probably the only other guy you can count on to get a basket. And just you don't have him in a game like this. That really matters. The offense did come alive in the second half. 45 points, actually, in the second half. You just give up 49 to go with that. So kind of switched gears from the first half to the second, but not in Seton Hall's favor. They're going to have to. They'll, they'll, I, I still believe in Coach Holloway. He was running some absolutely gorgeous sets in the tournament with uh, St. Peter's. I mean, I. it's going to take him a little while, but I, I fully believe in this team. He got pieces, and... If they could have played a complete game, I think they could have beat Iowa. That's a pretty good Iowa team, too. Like, they were favored in this game, granted, only by one. So, they're saying Iowa's a better team on a neutral. But they were favored in this game for a reason. They're still a good team. Um, the Big East, there's just, like, a decent chunk in the middle that they could finish anywhere. And, um, you know, I, I still believe in this team long term. But that tonight, not a great showing. Not a great showing. Yeah, I know Seton Hall bumped up a little bit in our power rankings uh, this past weekend after how they looked in the first week. Tommy, do you think they're still going to stay up or are you going to drop them a little bit with this performance? Mm -hmm. If I drop them, it's not going to be much. I mean, that Iowa team is a very good team, one of the most high-powered offenses in the country. I mean, they didn't look great on the defensive end. That's to come. I, I'm not overreacting too, too much from this game, though. 
Yeah, this is it's important to remember that this is the third game of the season for this team with exactly. quite a few new faces, like Michael talked about. Not a lot of practice time there with this group, too, and they've been so banged up. So I think it's hard to take any, take away anything super specific other than that offense looks like I think people thought it might on paper, and that is not a compliment. <laughs> All right, we're going to we're going to move on here from that first game. Let's take a look back here in the week. It's been the Gavit games are the big story right now going on in the Big East and they're not going well for the conference. Big East is now what 1 in 4 through the first 5. So, we're going to look ahead in a little bit at what the Big East can do to make up some of that ground and force a tie in the series. But we're going to start with two teams here that I think looked good but we're not able to pull out wins in Marquette and Butler. Marquette gets off to a hot start there at Purdue, unable to close that. Butler really stayed with Penn State for most of that game. The common thread here, though, neither one of these teams could shoot the basketball in these games. Had had chances, couldn't do much about it. Tommy, I'll come to you first on this one. What did you take away from these two teams this week? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the Marquette game first because I know Mike is our, our butler writer. I want him to cover that one a little bit. But um, Marquette led for a lot of that game. They led for 28 minutes and seven seconds of that Purdue game. Reminded me a lot of last year when Villanova played Purdue. They had a 10-point lead with 10 minutes left, and they lost. I mean, Zach Eady just has that star power that Marquette doesn't have right now. Um, he had 20 and 13, um, and Purdue ended up pulling away to secure the win 70 to 50, 75, <clears throat> 70. But uh, David Joplin looked good again. He had 21. Cam Jones had 19. A lot of encouraging signs for Marquette. I know that they were picked towards the bottom of the power rankings in the Big East, uh, the coaches poll, rather, not the power rankings. Past my bedtime. My apologies. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely. Um, more encouraging signs from a young Marquette team. Yes, yeah, this, this did not look like a Marquette team that was going to finish ninth in the Big East. If the team that showed up then shows up for the rest of this season, I think they're going to be in a lot of close ones, and they should be able to pull out more wins. David Joplin, I think, looked really good. Cam Jones looked really good. Tyler Kolek still keeps dishing out assists. I mean, he's just kind of a wizard there with the basketball. They were able to put up 70 points against Purdue there. The flip side, you got Butler held to 62 in a really tough shooting night against Penn State, which has been a theme for the Bulldogs as of late. Doesn't seem to be changing here in the Thad Mata era. They just can't hit a shot. Like, I mean, just come on. Just one game where we just light it up. It, it'll all be back. Hopefully they're saving it for Tennessee. That's what I like to think. Um, but Mercy, they just cannot hit a shot. And... You mentioned Tyler Kolick dishing it up. I love watching Tyler Kolick. Jalen Pickett had one of those performances for Penn State where it's just like, that's kind of like Tyler Kolick. Kolick had one of those games against Georgetown last season where he just looked like the best player on the floor by a country mile. Granted, terrible, terrible Georgetown team, but still. But uh, Jalen Pickett was absolutely excellent. There was nothing the Bulldogs could do to stop him. Absolutely nothing. If he had a slightly better shooting day, he was 6 of 18. I would go as far to say if, if he had that shooting day, I think he played perfect, like a genuinely perfect game. There was nothing we could do to stop him. 10 rebounds, 11 assists. I believe he had assists on the first four buckets. Part of that, I thought, bad game planning. Um, Jalen Pickett, when he drives, he drives to dish. He is an excellent, 
excellent passer. And they surround him with some elite shooters like Miles Dredd, Andrew Funk, um, Seth Lundy. Those guys, they just get buckets. They surround Jalen Pickett around those guys. You just have to stick with them and hope Pickett misses. But and it, it like you were watching the same thing over and over again every time Penn State had the ball too. And uh, honestly, like the defense wasn't awful, but it was just bad enough that Penn State was able to take advantage. I think they adjusted quickly. That was the thing you have to give them credit for. They like as soon as they realized, crap, this guy is dicing us. We got to switch. We can't let him get anything easy. And I think they did a good job at that. But if you could just hit jump shots, five of twenty-three from three, they were terrible in the New Orleans game. In both exhibitions, they were horrible. In the first one, they shot fifty percent from the free throw line, which I was supposed. This was that was my first game sitting on press row. I'm supposed to be like even keeled, calm, you know, making an impression. I'm wearing like a collared shirt for like the first time ever. And I, I was trying so hard not to just lose my mind when they just kept missing free throws. Thankfully, in this game, 11 to 12 from the line, you're going to need that to stay competitive on the road. But 5 to 23 from three, it was, no one was shooting well. Taylor 0 for 4. I believe Taylor is 0 for 10 on the season. Hunter 0 for 4. Chuck Harris 1 of 5. Hopefully, I, I, I still am confident enough to say I think it should get better. Hopefully it does, but... It has not been pretty. No, it has not. <clears throat> uh, the the website Shot Quality, for anybody who knows that site, they have a metric on there. They call it their rim and three rate. It's the number of possessions that end up with either a shot at the rim or a shot from the three three-point line. The two best looks that you can take in college basketball. Butler is 10th in the Big East in that. 82% of their shots end up there, which means... 18 of them are mid-range jumpers, which is really not the shot you want to be taking. It felt like they were settling for kind of the shots in that area. And I think that's just, I don't think these guards can drive very well. And the offense is not, not moving the way it should be. What I will say was part of that was Penn State. What they would do is they would basically just drop on the guards because they're like, they're not pulling up from three. We'll give them the open midi. I believe Hunter hit like two or three when they went on the run. I believe Chuck Harris hit one. Like they were really Penn State really gave them those like wide open shots at the elbow. And it's like, all right, if I'm wide open, I'll take it. If I'm wide open, any wide open shot's a good shot. But yeah. Other than that, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Yeah. And to go back to that Marquette game, Marquette's actually tied for first place in the Big East with ninety four percent of their shots come from the rim or the three point lines. They're getting the looks and they just didn't hit them in that loss at Purdue. Cam Jones five of twelve from deep, which is good. Stephen Mitchell, 1 for 5. Tyler Kolick, 0 for 4. And Omax Prosper threw up 2 and missed them. Chase Ross missed 2. Ben Gold missed 2. That's probably your issue right there. It's just they're getting the looks. They were not falling. Two, I, I think two encouraging losses there. Two moral victories, road games in the, in the Big Ten against tough opponents. You'll take that. What was absolutely not a moral victory of any kind was the Georgetown-Northwestern game. I just where what are we doing in Georgetown right now? That's I mean that's the big question. Does anybody know? I think the administration's asking the same thing. <laughs> I mean, and they're the would... ones that are supposed to have that answer. Yeah. We're all asking don't. them. <laughs> <laughs> no, they clearly don't. I thought that game was gonna be more competitive. I mean, the silver lining was Primo Spears, his third game in a row. Uh, leading the scoring for the Hoyas. He had 22, dished out six assists. Um, Jay Heath won his appeal, which is the stupidest rule in all of sports, I think, the transfer <laughs> and the appeal rule. 
Um, but it, his debut was promising. He had 13, but I mean, we talked about it in the Georgetown preview with the the LSU transfer, uh, Brandon Murray, his body language. It was awful at LSU. It stayed awful at Georgetown. I mean, the whole the whole team's body language at Georgetown against Northwestern was just terrible. I mean, it was just a terrible game. You see, man, Georgetown basketball is the reason I'm at this school, reason I'm on this call. I was raised, like, in Georgetown basketball. Like, I, I mean, just – I've been going to games since I was so, so young. I'm from the D.C. area, like – I have a picture of like a young me with Roy Hibbert and it's just like, my parents will bring it up every time, like every time, anytime they get a shot, they'll bring it up. I, oh my gosh, but man, I have no idea what they're doing. And like the body language, that's one thing. I mean, I can, I've watched so many losers in my life. I've been from when I can like really remember Georgetown. It was the one year they made the tournament as the four seed. They got beat by Utah in the tournament, but it's like, you know, that was a Utah team that had three pros, but after that, just the GT three era down. Ewing, the one tournament that was fun, but other than that, they've been terrible. But they also can't guard the three-point line. They Ewing, I don't know how he still can't guard the three-point line. He can't do it. It doesn't work. Never, ever, ever it doesn't work. This Northwestern team, I believe, had 15 made threes on the season. They made like 30. They looked like the yeah. prime warriors out there. It was ridiculous. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Some yep. things just don't change. If it would be one thing if they lost to Northwestern, a bad Northwestern team. Collins, terrible coach. I'll say it. Chris Collins is a horrible coach. Chris Collins should never be a road favorite against anyone. I stand by my logic on that. But they couldn't – oh, my God. I don't know how they can't guard a three-point shooter. It's just it six years, and you still can't guard a shooter. It'd be one thing if this team was bad, but they're making different mistakes. That'd be one thing. It's the same, same, same stuff. It's just infuriating. I lost my voice screaming at them. That was it. (laughs) Don't help off him. No. <laughs> yeah, and it's been I think it says a lot when it's an entirely new group here for Georgetown, basically, and it's the exact same issue. When I mean, we saw it last year, it was a team that could shoot three ball well and an offense that could keep him in a game and a defense that failed time and time again. And it new players, same old story. Shot quality has this as the as the worst defense in the big east by a pretty wide margin, too. Uh, we're probably going to talk about this in a little bit. The only one that's that close to them is Villanova right now. But uh, this is also a Georgetown offense with the worst rim and three rate. So they're not really taking good looks on offense. Guys can hit them. I think part of that's Kudus Wahab has got some stuff. And they I mean, they got a lot of guys who can hit mid-range jumpers. Brendan Murray is good at that. Primo Spears and all of that. This, this offense still creates good looks, even if they're not the, the ones you might want on paper. But that defense, it's just, it's so bad. And there's no real signs of improvement. With the offense, I can give a little bit of a pass because it's like new guys and they're playing a little bit of hero ball. But like once you get used to playing with your teammates, that'll just get better. But the defense, you just can't. It's the same, same story. Nothing's going to change. It's just, I don't know. I there, yeah. There's, I'll get to one team that I could argue you put lower later, uh, but there's no reason Georgetown shouldn't be 11th or 10th in the power rankings. And yeah. I'll get to it later, and I expect someone to get very mad at me, but uh, we'll get there later. Well, well we, might, we might be getting to it right now, depending on what team that is, because we'll talk about the one win that the Big East actually has in the Gavit games right now, and that's DePaul. I know we got a, we got a comment in here from somebody. I'll throw this up real quick. 
DePaul is the only school to put on for the Big East. Other schools schools struggling with Delaware State, Coffin State getting pounded by the Big Ten, ready to start showing some respect. This is a DePaul team that was in the mid-40s ahead of UConn on ESPN's Basketball Power Index before the season. Maybe they're on to something here. And this is without Nick Ongenda, without Caleb Murphy. They went to Minnesota and took them down. That was, I think, incredibly impressive, Tommy. Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree, especially with uh, no Ongenda or Murphy. I mean, that was their fifth straight win against Big Ten teams. It was their fourth straight in the Gavit game. Javon Johnson looks like the real deal. Uh, Big East all-name team uh, suggestion here. Phil, Philmon Geberwit. I hope I Great did name. that name justice. Uh, he had 18. I mean, hashtag ranked DePaul, man. I, I, I <laughs> love the DePaul team. They're so much fun. Yeah, they had four guys in double figures. Javon Johnson with 20. Philmon Gubber with 15. Moja Gibson, he had 14. And then 10 from Errol Penn down low. This is this is a team that I think is better than people expected them to be. And it's a, this is a good start to the Tony Stubblefield era, the second year. This isn't a Minnesota team I'm particularly high on. That being said, beating them without two of your top guys, as you mentioned, in Angenda and Murphy – and not only just beating them, they beat them pillar to post. That was that was a beating. There was like no point in that game where I'm watching. I'm like, okay, DePaul blows it here. They blow it here. No, they cruised to a victory. They looked very good. Um, I re- I think Coach Stubbs is building something there. And I re- something that really stood out to me, I really liked Errol Penn's energy. He was just, he was not having anything. I loved that. He was screaming at the Minnesota fans. It's like, you know what? I like it. I like it. Um, DePaul is not the team I was actually talking about. I think DePaul, they look good so far. Um, that Santa Clara team they play Friday is pretty good, but we'll get into that later. But I, I they look legit. They're, they're legit. Um, I, I was impressed. Very impressed. Yeah. This is a DePaul, DePaul team that, unlike others in the Big East right now, at least seems to be showing improvement in year two. It seems to be well coached here in year two, doing the things that Tommy and I talked about before the season. Your expectation for DePaul was to look better by the end of the year than they did at the start of it. I think they're already starting higher than people would have thought. They're at 76 right now in Ken Palm. They started the year at 88. So really, really nice upward movement there. I'll say Butler's also up uh, somewhere in the teens. Up, I think from 130 to around 112, 114. Still too low. Something, yeah, so, yeah I, I don't know why they started at 130. Uh, Georgetown is uh, they started the year at 100 and now they're at 108 so there's there's the movement on those that's that's the gavi games that we've had this week i think there's one other game here to talk about and this is this is coming over to you right now tommy i love it let me let me say this was this was monday night and i know we had we had gavi games later that night but that was date night for my girlfriend and i so it's like all right let me I'm going to skip out on some of the early games and not pay attention. We'll let some of the other guys tweet and talk about it and follow everything. And uh, Tommy, you were there. I was like, all right, we got this covered. So we're doing a puzzle. We're hanging out. And I look over at my phone. I have a text from somebody saying Villanova is down by 10. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sitting there the whole date night now with my phone in my lap because I have to follow this Villanova-Delaware State game. Tommy, can you explain what happened against team 361 out of 363 in Ken <laughs> The shots did not go in the basket. The The lid was firmly 
cemented on the rim until the freshman came in in the second half and ripped it off. I mean, the more things change, the more they stay the same with this Villanova team. You saw it all last year with the slow starts impacting this team, and it's happening again this year. Um, they were down 13 early to Temple last week. They were down 10 to Delaware State. They should never go down 10 to Delaware State. They should never go down two to Delaware State. That team just didn't even deserve to be in the same building as Villanova talent-wise. But um, the the shooting, the defense, a little suspect right now. Um, but I, that game was never never in, in jeopardy. Yeah, I think it says a lot that they were down at home to a team like that by double digits. And the the win probability there never really, I don't think it ever got below 97.5% was the lowest that ever got. So there was never, never really any doubt Villanova was going to win that one. Michael, my question for you on this one. Is Chris Archidiakono the worst starter oh, in the Big East? He's up there. Um, I do actually have a bit of a confession to make here. We had um, Villanova ranked at five in our power rankings. Uh, do you, Matt, I know you were the one who compiled it. Do you have like the data of like where everyone ranked a team? Because <laughs> I do, and I think I'm about to get an answer to a question I had looking through it. Yeah, uh, someone, I, I don't know who, uh, might have ranked Villanova at 11. Now, I personally wouldn't endorse this, but that being said, they, ha- they were the only team that was 0-2 against the spread and had a loss. So, I mean, look, they still haven't covered a game. They're 0-3, so, you know, I don't want to say, like, who did that, but <laughs> whoever did, I think there are some good arguments to be made that they, they might be right and they might be waiting for Villanova to cover a game. Could lose to Michigan State, but if they cover, they'll move back up to where – this person had them at the beginning of the season, but uh, whoever did that, I think it might even be shameful behavior, dare I say it. So your reasoning for ranking them below Georgetown is because they haven't covered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I will say this is the, the, covered. Georgetown covered. <laughs> is this serious is, or is this like a bit? This is a bit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You scared me first. I love that you had to ask that. I will say, though, putting, I mean, Villanova for a little bit there, they were the only team in the Big East with a loss. This does not look like the Villanova of old. I think they can, I think they can get there still. They can get there. But this team has more work to do than I think people would expect that, that, that jersey, those colors, that the team in that building to be playing. Yeah, Jay Wright's not walking through that door anymore with his fancy tailored suits, even though Kyle Neptune... Well, he, will, he will be walking through that door with his fancy suit on just to the broadcast booth. To the broadcast booth. That's fair. That's very fair. But yeah. you see Kyle Neptune's suits, by the way? Dude. The pants yeah. are tight. <laughs> the pants are really tight, dude. <laughs> I uh, th- There was a point during that game where I was, I was texting our uh, one of the guys over at House Enterprise... Uh, that's photoshopping his computer over there saying, hey, can we whip up uh, a Kyle Neptune crying Jordan eyes meme just in case we need it with how this game <laughs> <Yeah>. is going? <laughs> Texted me that. <laughs> I did also text you that, yes. <laughs> but we do, we do now have that uh, locked and ready to go. So thank you to Will Tondo for that one. Um, hopefully, we, we don't, hopefully, hopefully we don't need that anytime soon. Let's look ahead a little bit here. We got an interesting week here for the Biggies. We're going to start with the Gavit games. Three of them left. Before we get into the specifics, 
uh, the, the three games, St. John's against Nebraska, Xavier against number 12, Indiana, and Villanova at Michigan State. Michael, does the Big East have any shot at tying up the Gavit games and winning all three? I was fairly confident Xavier would have beat Indiana, and that's an Indiana team I like until we got Kobe Jones's injury news. That just throws a wrench into everything. I mean, that's the one I'm scared with. But Villanova, for starters, they don't look great. Michigan State, oh, my. They look excellent. They look excellent. That game's going to be tough. But uh, hopefully St. John's can put it on. We get another one, make it closer, and then uh, St. John's just pour it on Nebraska. And then uh, we take our victory, just jump out there. If Xavier can win even better, take the victory there because I don't see Villanova. I would like to be wrong. It's better for the conference if Villanova's winning. That's just kind of how college basketball works. But um, this Michigan State team looks like a wagon. They look like a wagon. I mean, they – Tom Izzo was drawing up some beauties, some beauties, and Villanova was having trouble scoring one-on-one on Temple. So you're doing that against Michigan State? Good luck. <laughs> Tommy, are you – do you share this pep- pessimism? you think the Big East is locked into losing this now? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I sure do. Um, so, nail right on the head with that Colby Jones news and – um, I don't think Villanova is going to get blown out by any means, but Michigan State certainly is a wagon. I just I hope they can cover for our guy Mike. <laughs> I mean, Got to get out of that basement. Exactly. Yeah. Put it on. <laughs> on. Uh, well, let's. We got a couple interesting games there on Friday, which we're going to get to. But let's start with the Thursday gap game here. Obviously, there's more games on Thursday than just St. John's against Nebraska. This is going to be the the headliner, though. Um, I think this is interesting kind of different styles going on in this one. St. John's, I think, has looked good for the most part this season as well. Tommy, how do you see this one going? I like St. John's. I like St. John's a lot. I just think St. John's is the better team here. Um, Nebraska's had a good start to the season, but they're not just plain and simple. They're not as talented as St. John's. Um, the Johnnies will be able to score consistently throughout this game. Um, they're going to build the lead. Uh, so yeah, give me St. John's and the points here. Michael, you in agreement there? Yeah, I think St. John smokes them. I, I, I don't really like this Nebraska team. I mean, I think it's been a little while. Sam Greasel's their best player, and he's a North Dakota State transfer, I believe. Um, yeah, I, I just don't. I think St. John's is just so much more talented. They're just better at almost every position. They should be able to just completely control this game. Nebraska is a team that probably struggles with turnovers in this game. I think St. John should be able to force turnovers with that press, just wreak havoc. And this game, I think it could get ugly. Uh, St. John's John's big. This is one St. John's is pretty heavily favored in it. I will say the the one way I think Nebraska has a path to victory here, that the, the Nebraska defense has been decent, forcing turnovers so far this year. St. John's has turned the ball over a ton. If the shots aren't falling early and St. John's gets into a little bit of a hole and then they start turning the ball over, maybe Nebraska can control the tempo and kind of dictate the way this game is played, make things uncomfortable. If they're not able to do this, though, I think we're talking about uh, point spread and margin of victory and not whether or not St. John's is going to be the team that comes out on top here. This game's going to be 6.30 tomorrow night, Thursday night. It'll be on FS1 there at Carnesecca. The other games on Thursday night, Butler hosts St. Francis. That'll be at the same time same time on FS2. Marquette hosts LIU. 
8.30 on FS2. And Creighton hosts UC Riverside at 8.30 on FS1. I think we're looking at what should be four wins for the Big East on Thursday night, which then gets us into Friday night. And these two were our co-games of the week this week, too. They tied in the voting. Xavier, Indiana is the, the early one here. This is the appetizer on the slate. Indiana, number 12 in the country right now. Xavier receiving votes. Like we talked about, no Colby Jones. And they struggled early without him against Fairfield. Tommy, how well do you think Xavier is going to be able to play with Indiana if Colby Jones can't go? That's going to be a great game. Now, Xavier last year had a surprising win at home against Ohio State in the Gavit games. I think this injury to Colby Jones is obviously tough. I mean, we've touched on that a lot. But this front court matchup with Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson versus Zach and Jack for Xavier, that's going to be – a, a, an incredible matchup to monitor the whole game. The Hoosiers weren't great last year on the road. They were three and eight in true road games. Um, I, if the Big East were to win a game in Xavier, Indiana, Villanova, Michigan State, I do think it is Xavier. But man, that 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 injury hurts. Yeah, it does a lot. Uh, and there's been kind of an epidemic of wings having issues now, injuries here in the Big East. I know Andre Jackson also banged up. So two of the two of those teams there that have I don't know championship hopes, Big East championship hopes banged up right now. Michael, is it concerning to you that Xavier struggled so much without Jones and didn't have that depth behind him last game? It's just one game. I'm not too. I'm not gonna like jump all out one game. But I also wasn't particularly high on the Xavier team coming into the season, just because I didn't know if they really had a leader. I didn't know who was gonna lead the team. You have Nunjean Fremantle. The defense with them on the floor hasn't been great. Like neither of them can really guard the perimeter in almost any capacity. But I still think they can keep this game competitive. They could even win. I love those like weird underdogs like they're like an underdog team but they're at home so you got the crowd behind them Utah's going to be popping for sure and this is an Indiana team that is vulnerable Trace Jackson Davis is a stud he's so good he's so yeah so good he might be my pick for national player of the year but I think the rest of this team Hood Shafina looks like a good freshman but again he's a freshman still you're it's there it's a shot I think Xavier could win this game I wouldn't pick it per se but if they're like a decent size underdog like five plus i i think it could stay within that but um i think the safe pick would be indiana wins but Xavier could take them it wouldn't surprise me nunji and Fremantle could just go ballistic and you got a couple yeah. guys too a couple like hot shooters conkle tandy one of them gets hot that game could could get very interesting scene toss could be popping that was my it was my game of the week could be popping yeah, I think the the environment there should be unbelievable for this one. They're going to bring the energy. I know uh, I'm sure Captain Xavier is going to be in attendance for anybody that knows him on Twitter, bringing the skyline chili. Yeah, it's this is a, like you mentioned, this is a Xavier paint defense that was not good last year. And it's the same guys against one of, if not the best paint player in the in the country. I don't know if that was Oscar Sheepway, so not the best. But he's, he's one of the best, and it's just that's a really tough matchup. I think they can rise to meet it, but we have to see it happen. You talked about needing a leader. Colby Jones, seven assists per game in the first two games that he played in. So he's been that guy for them. I think they're going to need him. I think without him, they lose. With him, they're going to have a shot to win. Let's look at the late slate here. Villanova at Michigan State. 
this is, I believe, only the fifth time these two teams have played, fifth or sixth, something like that. The last time they played was in 2002 in the Great Alaskan Championship in a late-night game way out there, which I was was trying to find some information on that game. That was a, a beast to try to get. Michigan State, Gary Parrish had them at number five in the country this morning after their uh, their big win over Kentucky. Tommy, you're the Nova guy. What's the feeling on this one? I don't think he's wrong having him at five. I mean, give or take like two or three spots. I mean, they, they beat, they took Kentucky to overtime and then beat them. And then they were toe to toe with Gonzaga on, on a boat. I mean, that was, (laughs) that was incredible, Matt. They were on a boat and the floor at the, at the civic center was still more wet. <laughs> I, I saw mutual. They they were talking on the Ion College basketball podcast about how the game on the boat stayed dry, but the game at Navy's own arena had issues <clears> with <throat> a slippery floor. What <laughs> that just that amazing levels of irony there. Uh, Villanova's had issues shooting the three ball, obviously 0 for 17 to start that game on Monday against Delaware State. This is a good Michigan State defense too, I think. They they have kept teams from shooting the three ball well against them. Do you think the switch flips on Friday night? Uh, I mean, talking to Kyle Neptune, he gave me a great quote. He said, we're not going to take threes just to take threes. If they take the three away, they're going to go after the two. They're going to take what the defense gives them. I've watched both Michigan State games against uh, Gonzaga and Kentucky, and the guard play hasn't impressed me much i mean I, there's some lazy screens there's some uh kind of olay defense in the transition um Izzo has been drawing up some beauties out of the timeouts and and half court sets but um michigan state's hot like mike said they're a wagon right now but um i i the, they're not indestructible there is a, a blueprint to beat them and i think we're going to find out win or loss a lot about Kyle Neptune and this Villanova team. Yeah, I 100%, 100% agreed. They're going to find out what they're made of because dropping this just from a record perspective is tough. It's not going to hurt you resume wise. Uh, Mike, any, anything to add on there? If Villanova somehow wins this game, it'd be one of those all time college basketball games where you're like, oh, yeah, Villanova, they almost lost to Delaware. I shouldn't say almost lost. They didn't look great against Delaware State. Michigan State put on two of the best performances you might see all season. Then Villanova goes and beats them. It'd just be like, sure, why not? <laughs> the thing about Michigan State is like you can't game plan for like one guy. Like Joey Hauser could go off one day. Next day it could be Tyson Walker. Next day it could be AJ Hogard. Like they just have a ton of guys who can just be that guy. With Villanova, I think part of it is just point guard play. Start Mark Armstrong. I think he's good. At least some of the stuff well, I saw over the summer. He's we'll put, a good player. Put Brizzy or Housen out there instead, too. Anybody but Chris Archer Diacono, please. I, remember, I can't watch him play basketball more. I remember when Vill- it was Villanova Georgetown with the year Georgetown won the Big East tournament when they put young Arch on Dante. And Dante Harris was just like, they put this tummy on me. And he just picked it like <laughs> three times, and the game changed completely. The same thing happened when Creighton did use Jet Canfield, but it's like they still have young Arch. I was like, oh, good for him. I, I, I he was still in the conference. Good for him. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of good for him, gonna guy, Joey Hauser. We're going to all look stupid. He's going to hit a big three like to win the game, and we're going to all look like idiots. And I, yeah, we we're going to we're, we're gonna have to take all this back. Joey Hauser, former Big East guy right there for uh, Michigan State, the old, the old Marquette guy 
funny seeing that name still around. I yeah, that's uh, it's with all the the changes in rules and eligibility. There's just some guys that have really, really been there for forever, and he is one of them. And my, part part of that's his brother was there before, so that. That Hauser name, I think, has been in college basketball for at least eight seasons now between the two of them, which is just You want to talk about eligibility? I hope Archie Diakono uses his last year of eligibility, his COVID waiver year, just out of spite. Just, yeah, he's, got, he's got one more. <laughs> I'm back. Next I'm year's sorry. the year for him. I'm That's feeling awesome. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those, are, those are the big games there on Friday. That Michigan State-Villanova game is at 8 o'clock on FS1. The Xavier-Indiana one will be at 6 p.m. on FS1. So they'll be back-to-back. I assume the Villanova-Michigan State one won't tip at 8. That'll probably be a staggered start, probably around 8.15. I had to guess. That's usually how they do it. Um, the other games, we got a couple more. There's uh, UNC-Wilmington against UConn. That's an, a late game, 8.30 on Fox Sports 2. And... We got a couple multi-team events this weekend. We're going to talk about two of them. Start on Friday. Loyola Marymount against Georgetown in the Jamaica Classic and Santa Clara against DePaul in the Baja Mar Championship. <clears throat> Michael, I'll come to you first on this one. What's, what's up with the Georgetown in the uh, Jamaica Championship? What does this tournament look like for them? Yeah, so you should open up with a Loyola Marymount team that doesn't look excellent to start the season. Uh, they have Kelly Lupape, who has one of like who's hat has had. I don't know if he still's rocking it, like some of the best hair in college basketball. But they played a UC Irvine team who, granted, laid an absolute smackdown on Oregon, beat them comfortably, but they didn't look particularly competitive in that game. Like it got away from them, and it got away from them quick. It's just, but at the same time, it's Georgetown, so you never know if they're going to win that one. And then after that, it's yeah, they play Wake, who. Had some trouble with, um, it was, I believe it was Fairfield. It was someone like that, and they hit they. Uh, well, they had trouble with Fairfield, and then they played uh, a team that I had to look up last night, Utah Valley. But Utah Valley, I think, had to hit a three in overtime to win. Yeah, they drew up like this beautiful set. It was uh, it was like the Price Drew play for Tyree Appleby. It's not a great roster at Wake. I would expect Wake to beat LaSalle, but LaSalle could also pull away. They looked competent against Nova in their first game, so they could. Stay competitive, but Steve Forbes, I mean, if hypothetically speaking, if we get a Georgetown Wake Forest matchup whenever we would, um, Georgetown has a much more talented roster than any team in this tournament. It's not particularly close. It's just the head man. Does is he gonna do anything? Is <laughs> Steve Forbes is a good coach? Steve Forbes is a really good coach. So if he loses that one, it I would unless some guy goes off for like 50, it'd have to be a coaching. They have to be on the coach. Like their roster is so much better than Wake's, but Steve Forbes, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. So interesting. And it's the the second game of that will be on Sunday. Yep. Yep. So Friday, Sunday split there for Georgetown. Let's go over to this DePaul one. Tommy, you've got this Baja Mar. What is the, uh, what's, what's going on there? What a fun tournament. First of all, Baja Mar. (laughs) You want a Baja blast from Taco Bell. But um, I might have to go hit that up after this. <laughs> you're telling me. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, DePaul is facing Santa Clara. Uh, the Broncos, they won 21 games last year. They, uh, they did have Jalen Williams, though. He is no longer there. They did add Carlos Marshall, uh, a transfer from Tennessee State, and an Illinois transfer in Brandon uh, Pazimski. I definitely butchered that name, too. 
Um, Ken Palm has isn't the watching. Ball. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Ken Palm has DePaul winning this game. They have a projected final score of 77-73. I also have DePaul winning this game. Um, Santa Clara is a fast team, but not particularly a good shooting team. They're prone to turn it over as well, but they're third in the country in adjusted tempo. So if anything, it's going to be a very fun game to watch. Um, the other two teams in this tournament, Oklahoma State and UCF, um, are returning a bulk of the team from last season, Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson for Oklahoma State, um, and uh, Brandon Suggs and Michael Durr for UCF. So um, it's going to be a fun tournament to watch. Uh, DePaul, fairly newer team, losing their leading scorer, Javon Freeman Liberty. And then, of course, a St. John's transfer that we don't talk about anymore on this podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, this one's going to be a fun tournament, and it's going to show how DePaul can kind of stack up. I mean, Oklahoma State and UCF, they're not world beaters, but um, yeah. definitely middle of the road, above average competition for DePaul, and I think that it will be a, a good test for them early on. Definitely two opportunities there for Big East teams to, to hoist some early season trophies, potentially, in these multi-team events. Those are those are the Friday games. Saturday, we got another MTE starting. That'll be Providence and Miami playing Saturday afternoon. Providence and Miami are actually scheduled to be in the field for next year's Baja <laughs> Mar Championship. So, yeah, those two teams are going to be in back-to-back uh, events together. But this one's going to be at Mohegan Sun this year, the College Basketball Hall of Fame tip-off. Providence, Miami, 4 o'clock on ESPN News. This will be almost a home game there at Mohegan Sun for the Friars. I know the fans travel well there. It's a Miami team that went to the Elite Eight last year. The Friars and Hurricanes actually almost played. If Providence had gotten through Kansas, these two teams would have met in the Elite Eight. Jim Laranega there at Miami used to be at Providence, used to play at Providence. So there's some connections here between the two schools. <clears throat> this is going to be just a, a battle of, of guard play. Miami's got a couple guards there. Isaiah Wong and uh, Nigel Pack are the two big names who can play very, very good basketball. Friar's still figuring out the guard situation, but it looks like they can go four or five deep in their rotation. At least they have to this point pretty well. This will be the first real game for both teams to kind of figure out what they're made of and how this talent stacks up against another power conference team. And then on Sunday, it'll be either St. Louis or Maryland. The Friars played St. Louis back in, uh, was that 2018, 2017, the then 2K Classic at Madison Square Garden. And it just beat the crap out of them. They beat St. Louis 90 to 63, I think was the final score. Was not close to win that. And then Maryland there, Kevin Willard. So they got there's a couple teams that are, are good there. St. Louis received votes. Miami's receiving votes right now. Maryland, I don't think, would be that far off from getting them with some wins. And same with Providence. All of those teams coming to this event are undefeated right now. So it should be a good game there at Mohegan Sun. Uh, yeah, that's the best tournament of the three, but, uh, that slew team, they're a wagon. They, the way they beat Memphis, they were destroying them. Then they got beat by the press and then they just, they looked excellent. That slew team. Yeah. Uh, if they play Providence, they're not losing 90 to 63. I guarantee you. That no, one. this is not, not that same, not that same group at all, though. It's been an impressive turnaround for that program. And I think what makes this a really interesting tournament is, 
these are probably four teams that would all slot in somewhere between a seven and a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. And you're, you're almost just getting a, a simulated first weekend of the bracket here between these. So uh, it'll be good for the resume. You could could knock some teams out here. These could be losses or wins that could come back to mean something in March. Uh, and then there's there's one other game on Saturday. Butler playing again. Butler playing for the third time this week on Saturday, hosting the Citadel. That'll be on FS2 at 7 p.m. But that right there, that's the schedule for the rest of the week. Got some, a couple of good games this weekend, a couple of good games on Friday. And then next week with Thanksgiving, we're going to have a really full slate of games. I will, uh, <laughs> you're in a best eight fingered center in the now, country. Thanks for that. Comment. Now, I, I, I didn't want to cut you off there, Matt, but I, I did some research here because I, I didn't know if this was true or not. <laughs> while, while you were talking, I did some research. He does have eight fingers. Uh, mm-hmm. He lost his index and middle fingers on his right hand as in a blender incident as a toddler. The more you know. A little fun fact for wow. you on this Wednesday evening. I, I'm now a Yorane fan after hearing that one. Yeah. I mean, the you, you, you know. got to be with that. You got to be with that. We, uh, we appreciate the comments there. Shout out to Big Don 246 for being very active in the chat this, yeah. uh, this entire time. We appreciate the, uh, the support there. I think that's just about going to do it for us on this episode. Thank you to everybody for staying up late with us and listening on uh, week two of the basketball season. We're going to have a lot more coverage coming. Should have a show coming Sunday morning with some recaps of the stuff we were talking about and a look ahead at the Thanksgiving slate, which is a loaded one. Let me tell you guys, I was putting together a graphic for the socials with the schedule for next week and trying to figure out what times teams are playing at next week and what networks they're playing on is just it is a mess. It's just there's somewhere it's like, all right, this team could be on ESPN two, three plus, or you at any time during the day. So yeah, that'll be it, it all makes sense by the end of the week. But we're all, we're we're gonna vibe with it. We'll see what happens. Just plop down on the couch. Struggle thrill. Yeah, yeah. We we will figure it out. That's Tommy Godin and Michael DeRosa. I'm Matt St. Jean. Follow us on Twitter at Road to the Garden. That is the number two. And if you're listening to this as a podcast, please subscribe so it'll show up in your feed every time there's a new episode. If you're watching this, the video version, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube where all these videos are going to be or they're also going to be on our Twitter. So you can find us in all those places. Make sure you're following, subscribed to stick with us and we will see you next time. Thank you very much for listening.